Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. We are here again with another of our Metaplot walkthrough episodes, and today we are going to take you on a guided tour of The Shattering, everyone's favorite defining split second in the life of the Fae. I'm here with my co-host, Simon Eichhornchen, and we're going to try to make sense of this sort of snippet in time. We've talked a little bit about how the Sundering and the Mythic Age don't necessarily have a ton of write-up that's necessarily usable, but the Shattering, that might be even more true of. So Simon, what did you find when you were doing your research on the Shattering? So I feel like there's a little bit more meat to the shattering than there is to the sundering just because a lot of the events that take place in the shattering have prelude in the sundering or echoes into the future and they get dealt with kind of obliquely in books that are dealing with some other time period. The house books have a lot of mentions of things going on during the Shattering. I think when we were getting ready to do this episode, Victor mentioned that Fool's Luck, the commoner book, does too. The Secret Way touches on the Shattering a little bit, but it's kind of not useful in the main line Changeling than Dreaming Shattering narrative because their Shattering is kind of a different animal and it happens at a different time and the meat changelings don't really understand what that was. I think the least controversial piece of headcanon that everybody at least thinks about is that the shattering is a squishy event that happens at different times in different places. So the bit about the shattering happening at different times in different places actually isn't headcanon. I thought for a long time it was. That is dealt with directly in Kingdom of Willows on page 33, the second shattering. And it talks specifically about, despite warnings from their Nunyihi brothers and sisters, the Algonquin from the southeastern tribes persisted in seeking fair treatment from the Europeans. And then it goes down the horrible road that that led to. And so they do actually lay that phenomenon out there. You have to kind of take that and then go, all right, I'm. this makes sense, this happened, I'll now apply this in all the other places where that same dynamic is in place. So it's not as developed as I'd like it to be, but it is specifically acknowledged in the canon, which I do appreciate. So chronologically, the shattering runs into some of the difficulty that the sundering has, where events happen and the shattering has a better like real world timeline attached to it because they actually gave it a date which is a little weird for white wolf but a lot of the early shattering high sundering events are kind of squished out across the whole thing the cathane have this whole narrative about there being many events that lead to the sundering and the shattering um, some of which are the invention of silver to harm the Guru, the invention of cold iron, apparently by mortals, to harm the Cathane, and as a response to the Gestalt world separating into the Dreaming and the Material world, someone, 
Various people claim it was them invents the Ashit. Someone invents freeholds. House Leon gets the rap for inventing Rhapsody, even though it, at least in their telling, it's kind of an accident. Liam gets the rap for bringing the wrath of the church down on the she, even though they were tricked into it by House Gideon. And then things accelerate. Dougal invents steel, trying to stop the shattering coming. Doesn't help. And some she decide they're going to bail on Europe and go to the New World for reasons that are not entirely plot-based. They're entirely plot-based. They don't actually make sense. And then the Black Plague happens, and here comes the shattering. Did I get that about right? Yeah, that's about right. I think the only thing in there that I'm not totally certain where it falls is Dougal inventing steel. I think your placement of that in the timeline makes sense. But the Dougal chapter of Book of Houses just says, he did this thing. It really does not place that at a moment in history. And so that's an interesting question mark on where that really falls. I think it makes sense that he did that to try to hold off the Sundering, to keep it at bay. It clearly did not work. But where that actually falls in the Sundering, I've always kind of had a question mark around. I mean, the other thing in terms of that timeline, before we get into the nitty-gritty details about how did the Fae actually react to the Shattering, because that's a big thing, is what caused the Shattering? And 90-plus percent of the books that talk about this all settle on the Black Death. There is one major exception to that. All of those timeline items that Simon just laid out, they happen. We get up to this moment in time, and most of the books say the Black Death happened, and boom, Shattering. For various reasons, one of the books that I read basically said humans were so appalled by the Black Death, they were so traumatized by it, that they never again could imagine the unknown forces of the world without trauma and nightmare. Given the cycle of plagues (laughs) throughout human history, I have a hard time with that one. But there's some version of that in the vast majority of Changeling books. And then there's Isle of the Mighty. Isle of the Mighty was explicitly a Mage-Changeling crossover book. And so there's a bunch of Mage folded in there, and they were telling a story that was about that crossover, so it wasn't as Changeling-centric. But that book really told a different story. I think it might have mentioned the Black Death, but its primary narrative is... The Order of Reason ascended, and they looked around and said humans shouldn't be afraid of supernatural things anymore, and we are going to reshape the world into a safe place for humanity to be. They should no longer need to give offerings and fear the dark and the wild places. We are taming the damn world. And it presents this story where the Order of Reason starting to do that is really what caused the shattering. The sundering was about a slow, creeping change in the relationship between mortals and fairies, and then that shift with the Order of Reason was a very rapid, sudden thing. And the shattering itself is described as basically happening over a year's time. Like, it started 
the Fae freaked out and they had a year to decide what the hell they were going to do and get out. And that ends up being the actual, like, political story. But the question of what caused it is interesting because the Black Death was not the same across all of Europe. So, I don't know, Simon, what's your take on those possible interpretations? I think you're right that the Black Plague in Europe is the most common reason the canon sources give for the shattering, but it also requires a narrative lift that they didn't do with what would become the meat changelings with the Cathane. In Secret Way, the anime have this whole thing going on where their society is very slow to adapt to things because of course it is, because it's the natural world, and the natural world goes through change, but it's a cyclical change, and the shattering is completely outside of the cycle, so they don't know what to do, and by the time they start to react, it's too late. They needed to do that same lift with what would become the human changelings in order to make the Black Death a thing that happened fast enough narratively to cause chaos. In history, I don't remember the exact numbers, but the Black Death sweeps over Europe in a number of years. I think it was closer to decades by the time it was over. But that's plenty of time for everybody to go, oh, I'm going to come up with a plan. So I think that the idea that the shattering happens fast makes more sense without that narrative lift. And I like the idea that the order of reason is the impetus behind that. The only thing I would have to like really kind of tweak there, and this might just be me being weak on mage, but the only thing I would really want to tweak there is I would want it to be kind of a spontaneous thing that happens in multiple places around the world at the same time, because one, that's kind of how invention happens, and two, that makes it so that there are multiple conspiracies that are culturally appropriate to do that. Because the order of reason, every time I read something about them, was very Enlightenment Europe. So Mage does actually have the pieces for that. It's just the order of reason is the only one of those conspiracies that has anything I would call vaguely close to adequate word count. In the Middle East, you have the Maktashaf al-Nur. In Asia, you have the Dalo Laoshi. So those groups exist. They certainly don't cover the entire world, unsurprisingly, just because of World of Darkness's track record. Africa is really left out of that. And so is India. India really should have a group. I have opinions on that. Um, but... India would definitely have a group equivalent to the Order of Reason, likely centered in Kerala. So I, I don't think that's a big lift to make. I think they set the pattern for that in a lot of their writing. You just have to kind of repeat it in a couple more areas of the world. I think what you could do that would be interesting there is to really tell a different story about how did the rise of reason impact different groups of Fey. And how did their shatterings vary? Because the relationship that the Maktashaf al-Nur or, say, a group in India would have where those cultural groups weren't tied to something like the Catholic Church, 
and didn't have a mission of wiping out older beliefs, would there have been a shattering or would there have been just a major reshaping? Would it have been a shattering, but very different? I mean, this is a lot of white space in Changeling that I think would be fascinating to fill in, but it is definitely not addressed anywhere in the canon. Those are some of the dynamics around what caused the shattering, what real world events or groups might have led to this sudden distancing of the lands of fairy from the physical world. The next more interesting plot point is really what the hell did the fae do about it? And this is an area where you get several books that retell the same story from slightly different points of view. And the story is roughly the shattering started and most of the books acknowledge that the Fae knew something was going to happen. There are several books that have write-ups on leading up to the Shattering, the pre-Shattering premonitions. But all of the books sort of say that the Fae could tell something was coming, but they really couldn't tell what the hell it was. Dark Ages Fae mirrors this. Dark Ages Fae has a whole story about the War of Seasons and that the Fae knew that was going to come to an end and then everything was going to be different and kind of end timesy, but they didn't really know what that was all about. And that's mirrored in a lot of the Changeling books as well. So the chattering starts and the Fae flip out. The She, the nobles, all go running for the Silver Gate. And sometimes the Silver Gate is a singular location, and sometimes it's the closest gate to Arcadia. I find the closest gate to Arcadia is the more common writing. So I think the intention is that the Silver Gate was like a location in the dreaming, maybe the near dreaming that led directly to Arcadia and then had trods that opened up into various places in the autumn world. That to me is the interpretation that makes all the different write-ups in the various books all kind of work together. So that's how I interpret it. You can interpret it how you want to. And the she, by and large, go, holy crap, banality is coming for us. These echoes we've been dealing with are transforming into something much more terrible, and the gates are starting to close, the trods are withering. We gotta get out of here. And so the she make a break for it, and some of them take their commoner servants with them. Some of them leave the commoners behind. The commoners who are left behind, by and large, don't try to make a break for the gates, largely because at this point, most of the gateways to Arcadia are described as really brutal battlegrounds, as the various houses and groups of she fight to be the ones that make it before the gates close. And... They don't care. You're from another house. You're from another court. I'm going to cut you so I can get to that gateway and make it back to Arcadia. It's described as being pretty bloody. And so the commoners at this point go, well, we're going to be left here. So we need to figure something out. And necessity is the mother of invention. And so they invent the changeling way. Some books describe the changeling way as actually having started a while before they figured it out and it was just kind of an optional thing that a few changelings chose to do. But then with the shattering, it was do or die. Some books describe the shattering as being the reason it was invented. 
And so rinse and repeat on this changeling wave, fight to get back to Arcadia mess for a year, a few years, depends on the book. And then eventually the Silver Gate closes, no one can make it back to Arcadia, and we are in the Interregnum. Does that sort of line up with your read on that as well, Simon? Yeah, there was one reference in Court of All Kings that said Silver's Gate was a specific thing, but, I mean, Court of All Kings. The things I thought were most interesting in this, like, section of the history were in the houses, really. There's a weird pattern that emerges when you read all the houses in quick succession, like I did for this project, but... The Sealy houses mostly don't have their leaders stay behind, and the Unsealy houses mostly do. I feel like the numbers are too strong here for it to be an accident of authors' choices and finding different things interesting in their narratives. I don't know what it says, but it says something. Of the people who stay behind during the Shattering, there are a small number who like do this intentionally, not like they were trapped. It's implied that some of the commoners and even some of the she stayed behind because their connections to humans were too strong, like they had human families, or they were still actively engaged in commerce, whether that's worship or sustaining oaths or whatever. House Skaha is the only one I found where they, as a house, have a reason to stay behind, and it's one of the only times World of Darkness does prophecy in a way I find interesting because they stay behind because there is a prophecy and they hate it and they want to change it. So I thought that was an interesting thing, even if it might be futile. The other house that stayed behind, even in the original write-up, was Liam. But they didn't have a reason to stay behind. They just weren't let back into Arcadia, which is super weird because yeah, and you end up bumping into weird stuff in the c20 age with a lot of the she staying behind stuff because in older changeling skaha were the only ones who figured out how to be autumn she they didn't have a word for it they were just skaha and like in the narrative that was the reason they were commoners and that's the reason all the other houses looked down on them because they lowered themselves to do the thing the commoners did. And I don't know where I read it. There was one narrative element that either implied or said that the changeling way was originally like a punishment that they imposed on Fae they didn't like very much. Actually, it may have been Dark Ages Fae. The fate for any she who stayed behind in older changeling was either you join House Skaha, you die, or you become a lost one. In C20, with the introduction of Autumn She as a thing any She does, if they have a reason to, then the question of what happened to the Lost Ones in this version of the narrative becomes a thing. Yeah, and Lost Ones are written up differently in Changeling the Dreaming. They're basically written up as the worst bedlam-ridden fae who hold themselves up inside of freeholds and just go completely off the deep end and then disappear into the dreaming. I think I even remember, 
and I'd have to go back and dig into it more. I think I even remember a hook where basically old lords of some of the freeholds that fell during the shattering, they sort of got sucked up into the dreaming side of those freeholds, went completely insane, and then when the freeholds reopened and other fae claimed them, it was basically like a haunted house story. There could be a lost one buried deep in your freeholds story and they crop up and corrupt the dream and you need to quest in and find them and fight them i think that's pretty close to what they transformed the lost ones into i mean that's good for a very particular type of chronicle i don't mind that as a hook for like a a genre take on changeling i don't know how broadly useful that is from like a meta plot standpoint there were a couple of house stories about trying to take the portals and escape where the battles at the portals are described and sometimes it's other she and sometimes it's dark things they're fighting the implication seems to be that they're Thalane, but victor found a reference to the lead up maybe the aftermath of the shattering where the Unseelie Court is blamed for breaking the seasonal power sharing thing because they're the first ones who did it and they wouldn't give up power and that trauma forced a bunch of otherwise Seelie changelings to embrace their Unseelie nature and given the way second edition treats Unseelie nature as if it makes you a monster it could be that the original thought was that the things the nobles were fighting to leave were actually just maddened formerly Seelie commoners. Yeah, it's in um, Fool's Luck, and it's under the heading, The Shattering Begins, on page 20, The War of the Courts. And The War of the Courts reads a little bit like a stand-in for The War of the Seasons from Dark Ages Fae, but it's described as happening much later. It's described as happening right in like the last 120 years before the shattering they actually give dates for everything in fool's luck which is weird for changeling the war of the courts begins in 1215 the whole premise is the unseelie decide that to stave off the sundering they have to release chaos on the world because if everyone's terrified then they'll believe again is the premise which is something I've used before. I, I kind of like the idea of Nightmare as the immune system of the dreaming. Like when there's too much reason going on, all right, time to roll up our sleeves and drop some Nightmare on the world and make people afraid again. So I kind of like that idea. What was interesting to me is it was the first time I saw an argument that the first people that were unwilling to cede power were the unseelie because that is a major reversal of the entire political argument in Changeling. And it's something that if you dropped based on some remembrance roles could really tweak your political games a lot. And I'm just surprised they never did more with it. But it does also bring up the interesting point that you make about maybe those dark things are just fallout from this war and the Fae who got their legacies and their court relationship all screwed up as a result of it. I actually really like something that was dropped in Book of Houses 2, and it's probably meant to be propaganda, 
but Ileel gets a line about how the Thelaine are actually just, you know, those Gwydion she, like, they reject their unseely natures so hard that that's why the Thelaine have two. They're just projections. And I, like I said, I think it's probably propaganda, but like, you take all of these things together and you start to get a theme and it would be a really fun thing to play with. Like, a lot of the shattering is left intentionally vague and contradictory because unreliable narrator, like, it's more interesting to have multiple perspectives that don't necessarily line up. But there's the last introduced house, House Dannon, who were brought in during the Time of Judgment plot originally. They never really got a shattering history. And their role in the story as the she who hang out in the dreaming anyway kind of leaves them without really anything to do during the Shattering. If you factor in House Baylor's overarching kind of conspiracy to gain control of the Trods and wreak vengeance on the Shi as the inheritors of the Tuatha's legacy, you can find a place for them in kind of being a counterpoint to House Baylor in the Unseelie court, because for some reason, Danon are nominally Unseelie. I have a hard time with Danon for a lot of reasons, but this is an area that when Simon and I started talking about it, and he really posed the question, like, what do you do with Danon any time before the Red Star, or the Evanescence, depending on which version of that you're running with, and... They're described as being the Wayfinders. They're described as really having an ability to navigate the Dreaming that is on a whole different level from anyone else. And that was really Balor's shtick previously. Balor has this whole story about guiding the She back to Arcadia, but it kind of being a plot to screw them over. And it never totally made sense. Like, I always kind of felt like, all right, Balor, they were at their absolute weakest, and your plot was to legitimately get them back to Arcadia. If you instead have a story where House Danon was responsible for doing that guiding, like they weren't present in the Autumn World even before the Shattering, because that's the way they're described. They're described as not really wanting to have fuck all to do with the Autumn World, so they're the keepers of the Silver Path, and interpreting them as nominally unseelie, but also acknowledging that they're only written up in C20. So they're nominally unseelie with the C20 vision of the courts, which is unseelie is just more chaotic. It's not nightmare. It's not evil. So taking that into account, there could be a really interesting thing where Danon was legitimately interested in helping the Shi. Maybe they lean a bit more chaotic because they're always in the dreaming and they're capricious, but ultimately, they are Danon. Like, they're the bearers of the Tuahatadanan's name. They're going to be closer to that than anyone else. So they really did want to help the Shi make it back to Arcadia. And maybe Balor is also very good at all the things that they're written up as being good at. And they also guided the Shi and were trying to subvert them. But they had to do it in a way where Danon didn't catch them. And... That creates a story where you can have 
the handful of Shi that were shoved off the trods by Balor. You can invoke them, have them come back as insane lost ones. But it makes sense that most of the Shi made it back because at the end of the day, Balor did not have free reign on this plot. It's also a much more interesting story, and it creates a space with some really interesting conflicts between Danon and Balor when Danon actually does come into the Autumn World. I sort of interpret that as the Evanescence brought back all these nightmares, but also this like one weird forgotten Tuahan thing, and how would Balor react to that? Especially when this old nemesis comes back at a moment when they should really be ascendant. The Evanescence is great. Oh god, here's Danon. Crap. Right, and because... Balor's house story kind of retcons when they came back because although they are an unseely house, their house story talks about how they came back during the Resurgence War and after that but they also came back during the Resurgence War. They've had 50-ish years to work on their conspiracy to like trap all of the she and the commoners I guess on Earth while the Earth is barreling towards a banality winter, because Concordia is supposed to be America, and America's tragically bad at planning, not noticing that suddenly their old, sometimes enemies, House Baylor, control most of the Concordian trods, oh well, never bothering to look into, like, what happened to all those people who were coming down from Arcadia during the resurgence? And, like, I remember there were fell beasts, and don't they have a thing with House Balor? And then House Danon comes back, and suddenly House Balor is like, well, shit, now they have some silver paths again. Yeah, and I mean, I think we'll probably dig into this a lot more when we get to the resurgence story and the evanescence story. In terms of thinking about the Shattering, if you wanted to run the Shattering, if you wanted to do that in the game, casting Danon as this guiding hand and Balor as trying to subvert that guiding hand creates a really interesting dynamic, especially because they are both technically unseely, although Danon only barely unseely, the way Skaha is only barely seely. And I think that creates a really fascinating narrative, especially around the Silver Gate itself, because I could see Danon trying really hard to broker a peace, trying to stop all the fighting that prevented the maximum number of Shi from escaping, and there being a really fascinating political story there. The other part of this dynamic is just looking at the default division between the commoners stayed and went through the Changeling Way and the nobles ran off and went into Arcadia, just like you have the Autumn She or in the original write-up, the Skaha becoming commoners and House Liam and a handful of other She staying behind and presumably dying. There is also a plot point about the commoners that went back to Arcadia and... Some of them do come back with the Arcadian Chi in the Resurgence. So there's a question about what would that have really looked like? What would those politics and those allegiances look like? There's the obvious approach that the commoners that were bound to their nobles had to go with them and continue to support them. But then there's some real messiness around commoners that were bound 
to their nobles and their nobles abandoned them. And what happened to the oaths that were tied to that? There are some really interesting plots in some of the books that deal with oaths that were broken, but because everyone forgot the oath, the dreaming wasn't really enforcing it anymore. And then as soon as someone remembered it, then the oath went back into effect. And that's an area where you could really use some of these messy political dynamics that happened in the War of the Shattering and draw them forward into your current game. I think it's probably one of the more applicable plot points, the easier to actually tap. And there's some canon word count given to what happened to the commoners who got abandoned, but were bound to a house, and how they took up their house mantle and brought that house forward into the brave new world of the Interregnum. And the easiest example is House Dougal, because they have an entire guild structure that emerged after the shattering. House Ileal spends a fair amount of words on talking about the great inventions their commoners inspired in the political arena during the Interregnum. But most of the houses spend a little bit of time talking about the freeholds that were left behind that commoners took up residence in and became caretakers of. And that narrative becomes especially messy in the New World because the New World never really gets around to making a statement about who the land belongs to and why the Dreaming doesn't care about the Nunahi's ownership claims. Yeah, and that gets into... I won't even be snarky about this. My least favorite plot point in the entire canon which is the Fae went to America before their dreamers did. The she, the commoners, presumably together, they all went to America a century at least before the shattering and before any of that took place. Sometimes it's before the shattering, sometimes it's their solution to not have to go through the Changeling way and also not have to flee to Arcadia will jump into the Dreaming and then go to the New World because somehow we know where that is. Somehow the, our dreams are connected enough that we can navigate the Dreaming to get there, question mark. And the Shattering's not happening there, so yay, escape. And that's really used to justify the entire narrative about the she coming back during the resurgence and laying claim to old freeholds that they owned. They'll occasionally slip up and forget the timing of that story and say they've held these freeholds for thousands of years. Those are always fun moments. But if we're looking at the shattering as a moment in time, as opposed to just an event, we do kind of have to acknowledge that at this moment in time, a bunch of fae are slipping away to other parts of the world and also put kind of a question mark on why only the new world when, you know, as we brought up earlier, while there are factions of humans who are elevating reason in several other parts of the world, the conflict between reason and faith is not the same as it is in Europe everywhere. So what is it about the New World that drew the she and the commoners there? 
when their dreamers didn't even know it existed yet, but knew these other places existed. It's a thing that I feel like if you're going to play a game and include the Nunyahi and include any kind of history around them, or even use just the setting that occasionally acknowledges the Nunyahi's impact on modern Kithane society, you do sort of need to decide how did we get here? I don't totally know what to do with the shattering in this plot point, though, because it kind of makes me angry for very colonialist reasons. So we've, we've talked about um, commoners taking the Changeling way, staying behind, taking care of their house's legacy, or abducting it, invading some house's legacy and taking it over, going to the new world and stealing things from the Nunahi. It's also worth mentioning that some of the commoners may have decided not to take up the Changeling Way or go back to Arcadia and instead became Lost Ones. It's never really dealt with anywhere I found, but it logically follows the narrative. It's not as interesting and as messy as um, setting up the conflicted ownership claims for the Resurgence War that apparently the Dreaming cares about the She's claiming ownership of things in the New World that they were there for a hot minute for. I guess this gives us a really good segue into talking about the rolling shattering around the world because the next place that has the most word count devoted to its shattering is the New World. And we've already told you some of the setup. The true she show up. Some of them probably brought their households with them. And there is some word count devoted to what they did when they came. Um, It's not very interesting. The only interesting aside I found in that story was that House Ileal, the political evil nefarious house, admits that their relationship with the Nunahi could have gone a different way had they not fucked it up, which is an interesting admission from the bad guys. And Changeling's metaplot never really deals with the genocide that followed white people to the New World. There are a lot of question marks in the New World shattering. There's no real discussion dedicated to the indigenous fae ever having like a divide between those who want to go back to the dreaming and those who want to stay for a variety of reasons. That is a really interesting place they could have mined because we're talking about, I don't know, a couple dozen different cultures. Like that could go a million different ways. Some of the sources say that the indigenous fae had their own changeling way tradition before the Cathane showed up. Others say that they learned it from the Cathane. God knows why. And there is some word count devoted in the player's guide to talking about how the indigenous dreaming was destroyed. I don't know how they did that. I don't know why. And it's super insulting because there are still indigenous people alive. Quite a few, in fact. But because of that, the indigenous fae get access to the Umbra for game balance reasons. It's never really explained why in a satisfactory way. Um, They also have a weird restriction on eating dreams. It's a point that sort of makes sense until you consider that it doesn't apply to European changelings. 
and the logical explanation for why the indigenous changelings have this restriction applies equally to the European changelings. So it's just a weird restriction that doesn't really serve a purpose other than making the Nunahi and the Menahune less than the European changelings. And because of that, they learned how to feed from the land itself and how to take in its streams. A question that is never answered in this case is why the Fae don't have this as a native ability. Because they should. At least some of them. Especially around the Epiphany thing. There's so much story about the Cathane having a long-standing history of these various epiphanies and ravaging and really kind of a mythic age invention of Rhapsody story with Leonin. And then with the Nunyihi, it's this really weird, oh, they learned how to gather from the land because all their dreamers forgot them, which that plot point is really messy and problematic. And wrong. And wrong. I mean, it is it is an inaccurate representation of these cultures and their modern manifestation. And, I mean, the, the thing that really jumped out at me that relates to everything you just described is in Shadows on the Hill, they don't just say the Menahune learned the Changeling way from the Cathane. They give a moment and a character. Jack Doggins, who found the Menahune after they retreated to the distant isles away from people so they could continue to exist as Fae, and then he shows up, and he's like, oh my god, true Fae, what's going on? And they're like, oh my god, what are you doing inside that meat? That's nuts. And he explains it to them, and he teaches them how to become changelings, but... They work just like the Nunyahi. And, you know, as Simon mentioned, there are other books that are very clear that the Nunyahi had this different tradition. It's occasionally described as intrinsically different. It's about a relationship with the priests, I'll say. Asterisks next to that term. It's not a perfect translation. But the spiritual members of the tribe who had a relationship with them... And that's maybe part of why they behave a little bit differently, but then the Menahune just learn it from this knocker. Yeah, and there's a really gross implication that they, like, ate him or something. uh, I mean, he disappears. He never shows up again. There, There is a weirdness there, at least in the Shadows on the Hill book. It seems like they all got along. It's, I don't know. It's it's a bizarre story. There's also a thing in here specifically about, well, they weren't able to enter Arcadia for protection. They had nowhere to run. And this is one of the only first edition books that I've seen use the word Arcadia and one of the indigenous fae in the same sentence. Not thrilled to see that. But it is very much worse kind of skipping the sundering altogether and going straight to the shattering. But then how does this work? Like, why weren't they able to get into the dreaming at all? If they were able to make it back to an island, 
that was untouched enough by humans to continue to exist as true fae until Jack showed up. You're really telling me there was no way on those islands to make it back into the dreaming at least? Like it, this is one of those other places where like the denizens and the Danon are able to exist in the many realms of the dreaming between here and Arcadia. But then in other places, they'll be like, it's the autumn world or Arcadia, full stop. And I don't totally understand why that is true. And speaking of the autumn world or Arcadia, it's never really dealt with what happened to the she who went to the new world as true fae when the shattering was going on in Europe. Did they just disappear with the other she during the shattering, even though it wasn't happening where they were at? Did they fold into their host cultures, which creates plot holes for later? Did they just die off randomly? Like, it's never... I couldn't find anywhere where it was addressed in a way that made sense. That plot exists as an answer to the question, why the hell are the she claiming freeholds they supposedly already owned in America? That idea, that story is so colonialist that it required a justification. I don't actually feel like it's a narrative anyone was excited about telling. It is an afterthought justification for this thing that was written in first edition. I'm not shocked that no one has spent the time to flesh it out and really make it make sense. It's there for people that don't want to have to think about the Nuniki too hard. I mean, if I'm honest, I don't play with that story at my table. The couple times that that relationship has come up, and I have played with the reshaping of the anime and everything else at my table, I have totally written that out. I have written that in as a narrative that when the she came back, they forced on everyone through naming and sovereign and other reshaping techniques that they only had in the, you know, fiery power of the resurgence and that they basically <laughs> tailcraft retcon with resurgence boost. I do not have it as a thing that really happened because it's, it's such a mess the fact that in order for that story to work, you have to have glens that have been transformed into freeholds, into the kind of structured stories the she are capable of claiming. That has to have happened in the new world before European humans got there, and the Nunyihi apparently were okay with that. Even with the story we have that the Nuniki can't access that type of glamour, so it requires the she to have literally full 100% have done a colonialism before European colonists. I just, I can't look at that story and not retcon it. I can't. <laughs> it's another point where, like, it was never a fully conceived thought. The European shattering has a lot of consequences that logically follow from it, like the commoners having this like variety of things they did during the first little bit after the shattering, and the she having their 600-year amnesia thing, 
regardless of whether or not we think that's a very interesting plot point. And leading the resurgence, the new world shattering doesn't get any of that. There's no resurgence plot. The Nunahi and the Menahune are irrelevant to the dreaming meta plot in every meaningful way. Like, they just come up as footnotes to uh, some discussions about nobles having alliances and oaths, and there's one Kree-Gen character in Secret Way who has relationships with the Nunahi as part of her background. For as big a deal as the whole story of dreaming happening in America is, it's never dealt with the fact that it is happening in America specifically. Well, and I feel like the Changeling writers and Dez wanted to deal with that, or else the Nunihi wouldn't have been written in the first place. And there are a few books that give the Nunihi some pretty substantial word count. Kingdom of Willows gives them a lot of word count. I think Kingdom of Willows is probably the best book for looking at the Nunihi shattering. And I like that it gives them that word count, but it's also super duper regional because it's a, a region book. And so it doesn't work as a broad reference point. It just seems like something that when you get down to it, like a random assortment of white writers are never going to be good at telling a story that centers on colonial dynamics because it's invisible to us. You know, I do my best and I'm well aware I don't do a good job. There were only so many indigenous writers, even though White Wolf has a better stable and always has had a better stable of indigenous writers than, you know, writers from other cultures. Looking at you, Year of the Lotus, it's still not enough to tackle this kind of plot. And when they decided to acknowledge it at all, they opened a door that they really did not have the resources to walk all the way through. And I think that that plot really starts with the shattering because you have this whole thing about European changelings already being in America during it. And that just creates a lot of plot threads that go off into, I don't even want to say white space. White space implies a shape that is made by the presence of other plot points it just wanders off into completely undeveloped area because to develop it would have turned the whole game into a story about colonialism. And that wouldn't have sold very well. And the last place the canon deals with that should give us information about the shattering is Asia, because we have the source book Land of Eight Million Dreams, and it's a, a dreaming book that takes place in India, China, Vietnam, Japan, Korea, Mongolia, I assume. So, thanks for listening to our discussion about the shattering in Changeling the Dreaming, and we hope that you join us for our next Metaplot discussion. Yeah, that that uh, that more or less sums it up. Um, uh, man, I, I, I wish that that joke about saying the word Asia and then immediately going into the closing weren't so accurate, but there's no shattering there because it's a completely different game. Um, the one thing that's kind of weird there is we do have a couple Asian fairies, not Kith, not changelings, 
we have two Indian Adheen. In Dreams and Nightmares, we also have Thorak Sasha that show up as a deep dreaming true fae thing you could run into. So India is at least acknowledged like in the dreaming, but not as a complete thing in any way, shape, or form. So we have the Jin now with the C20 player's guide, but that doesn't really get all the way into sort of shattering implications. It presents a series of new modern options and locations, but they did not have the word count to go all the way back through the mythic age shattering sundering story in the context of that book much as i wish they had i given the scope of having one book and everything they tried to cover i i don't really begrudge them that oversight that's just a, a budgeting thing so question mark like there are plot threads that lead there and nothing developed i don't know is there a headcanon that you have to fill that in simon or is it just not knowing what to do with that the entirety of Asia Land and World of Darkness is a big blank spot for me because I read Land of Eight Million Dreams and it was it took a lot of drinking to forget it and I read The Kindred of the East when I was uh, younger and more easily entertained. It's a book that exists, I guess. The entire Year of the Lotus phenomenon is a thing I'd rather forget. The two Indian kids that show up in Denizens of the Dreaming. Well, you've heard our review of Denizens of the Dreaming by now, I'm sure. In a lot of the same way the Nunahi don't fit into Dreaming, Denizens don't really fit into Dreaming either. They're tonally and thematically different. They're systematically different in the terms of rules. Like, it's just a really heavy lift to make them fit. And... I don't think there's enough of a lift any individual storyteller can do to get 8 million dreams to work in dreaming. You might be able to get denizens to work. You might be able to get the Nunahi and the Menahune to work. But I don't think you can get the Asia source book to work. So I don't well, have a headcanon for that. <laughs> yeah, I have the outline of a headcanon that really doesn't have to do with Asia at all. It has to do with America. Because we've talked about this before, Changeling is really a game about diaspora. It's a game about being out of place. And whether that's out of place in your community, out of place from the mainstream community, out of place away from the land of your origin, even going out of the in-universe description of it, even being Americans, taking a, a sort of white wolf at the time Changeling was invented centric view of like what what is the origin of this game, even thinking about the creators and their place in America and then diving back into and wanting to become these European myths and then eventually like Nunyihi myths but again, question mark on, like, what does that represent? That's all an experience of diaspora, even from a creative exploration standpoint. And uh, Asian American populations are a really interesting question mark. I mean, if you don't just read the Hsien as it's a different thing, these are the systems, okay, I'm done. If you instead go, 
well, why are they different? Okay, they're in this setting where Shinto is still practiced. You know, if you extend that idea to India where Hinduism is still practiced, a little bit of a big question mark around Maoism and its relationship with, with religion in China, but that justification of there's more faith in Asia was used, then okay, uh, ignoring that they say the Hisian are still Hisian when they come to America, if we instead follow that thought experiment to what do the Asian Fae who came to America and were in human bodies and ended up working on the railroad and founding these communities in all these major cities where they had to come together to survive, that's a story that's much more like mainstream changeling. And that's a really interesting shattering story, a shattering story where the shattering didn't come to them. They came to the shattering, maybe thinking this will be fine. I won't experience the things that they ended up experiencing when they came to America. Again, a, a refrain that has come up many times on this podcast I'm not going to tell that story because I won't do it properly. But I feel like there is a story there. I just want more media to acknowledge the experience of diaspora versus source land dynamics across all cultures because they're different and not enough media acknowledges that. I see a lot of people who live that experience talking about it and I'm beginning to see it reflected in media that Asian Americans are creating that's no longer being driven only by white perspectives, but it's only a little bit. And I feel like in Changeling, there's a big story there, but that's exactly the kind of story that White Wolf avoids telling. So like it's an outline, but I don't quite know what to do with it. So those were mostly the canon plot points around the shattering in Changeling the Dreaming and some of the questions and potential resolutions to plots that never got finished. Thanks for listening to this conversation about Changeling the Dreaming's metaplot and we hope that you come back and join us again for the next time we talk about the plot. <laughs>